We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. The question for the day is this, are Christians too political? Have we wrapped ourselves in the American flag and do we need to disassociate and disconnect from our patriotism? This is what's being said by many evangelical leaders. And today, I'll respond to the question, who decides what's political? and who decides what's biblical. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome back to The Rebellion. The topic is something we've discussed before. Are Christians too political? What is our responsibility as Christians in the public square, the market square of idea? What should the body of Christ be doing when it comes to political and civic engagement? Once again, this boomerang seems to just come right back and hit you in the head. That's why I'm dealing with it again. Somebody shared with me just this morning an excerpt from a book that's being written by an evangelical leader, a leader in the Wesleyan Church. Now, again, I remind all of you who listened to the rebellion, I was a member of the Wesleyan Church for nearly two decades. I was the president of a Wesleyan university. The Wesleyan Church is an offshoot of the Methodist Church. It springs from the family tree of John and Charles Wesley in the mid-1700s who challenged the Church of England to recognize that it may have had its orthodoxy correct. Its orthodoxy was right. It still believed and proclaimed the right ideas, but its orthopraxy was lacking. In other words, they weren't practicing what they preached. They were preaching the right things in terms of their doctrinal stance, but they weren't practicing their faith in a manner that reflected the integrity of the body of Christ. They weren't living holy lives. John and Charles Wesley stepped into the mix of this situation, into the midst of this situation, and challenged the Church of England to recognize that if you're not behaving in a manner consistent with the way you claim to believe, there's a problem. And the problem is called hypocrisy. The problem is called inconsistency. The problem is a lack of integrity. You're not integrating head and heart and fact and faith and belief and behavior. You're actually a segregationist. You're separating those things that should be united. I would argue that today we have, I don't know if it's equal to that, if it's an equal air in terms of what's going on in the evangelical church, but it's coming darn close. Because we seem to think that biblical values and biblical virtue is somehow separated from, segregated from political values and political virtues. And we don't seem to get the point that political things are biblical things and biblical things are political things. And by the way, who decided what was biblical and what was political? I'm going to get back to that point, something we've talked about before. But I want to share with you what this particular author says. Some of it's good, but his conclusion 
is stunningly shallow, and I'm going to explain to you why. Before we get into this, however, remember that if you'd like to subscribe to The Rebellion, you can do so by going to patreon.com backslash D-R-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-P-I-P-E-R. That's patreon.com backslash Dr. Everett Piper. As I said, our listens, the number of listens to The Rebellion via the podcast has jumped to about 21,000 per month right now. That's great growth, but we need to continue to do so, grow exponentially. We need it to be 40 and 50 and 100,000 in short order. So subscribe to The Rebellion to help keep pushing that momentum forward. And here's something else you can do. Copy a couple of the favorite episodes of The Rebellion, those that you enjoyed the most, those that you might believe would speak to your family and friends, and then forward them, post them in social media. Let other people know about The Rebellion. Tell them that it's only about a 27 to 29 minute listen, and it's a show that deals with the topics of the day from a biblical perspective, the perspective of a biblical worldview, engaging in the market square of ideas with the context and the pretext of the body of Christ, the mind of Christ. Tell them that it's a show that focuses on truth. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. Tell them that we talk about the devastating consequences of abandoning truth and that you can do no measuring if there's no measuring rod outside of those things being measured. That truth exists with a capital T. It's not a matter of your opinions. Tell them that. Just put a couple sentences together and then download a couple of your favorite rebellion episodes and send them out to your friends. Post them in your social media, Facebook, Twitter, Parler, MeWe, Gab, whatever your favorite, or all of the above. Let's take a break, acknowledge our corporate sponsors, thank them for the way they're helping the rebellion. And when I get back, I want to share with you this excerpt from a book that's being put together right now by a Christian leader from the Wesleyan Church that suggests we need to unwrap ourselves from the American flag. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. I will be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. The title of this, uh, and it's cited as chapter four in this book. I don't think the book is finished yet. I'm still trying to find out where this particular excerpt came from. Is it an older book that was published in 2018, or is this a new book? A book about Wesleyan heritage. It's um, our Wesleyan heritage. Now, if you're not a Wesleyan and you think it's time to just turn this thing off, if you're a Baptist or if you're uh, whatever stripe you are, Assembly of God, non-denominational, if you're a questioner, you don't even know if you've bought the Christian story yet, if you can fully commit yourself to it. Don't turn this off because this is very important. It helps you understand some of the challenges that are going on within the church discussion, within the walls of the church right now. And when I say church walls, I don't mean your local building. I mean the walls of the church united, the body of Christ, what's going on around the world with regard to the church with a capital C. This debate about biblical versus political, unwrapping ourselves from our nationalism and our patriotism, I don't think this discussion is just going on in the United States. It's probably going on in other countries as well. But it's particularly pertinent here in the United States because I don't care how you slice it, the United States is historically a Christian nation. People that tell you it's not are just lying, or they're completely ignorant of our history. Our founding fathers, even if they may not have been born-again confessing Christians, did recognize the value, the value 
of a Judeo-Christian ethic, of a biblical ethic. And I've told you before, the most cited author in all of our seminal documents in the first, oh, let's say, 50 years of our nation's history was who? Not Locke, not Hume, not uh, Montesquieu, but Moses, the book of Deuteronomy. That should tell you something about our Christian heritage. And when I say some of our founding fathers may not have been Christian, actually, that number would be very few. The heavy majority of them were. It's argued that some were not, and even that's disputable. People say Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson in particular, were not confessing Christians. Uh, by today's standards, if you listen to some of the things they said, and if you read some of the things that they wrote, you'd be hard-pressed to conclude that they weren't. But that's a different story for a different time and a different show. Let's get back to this article or this excerpt from a chapter on our Wesleyan heritage. It's titled, Wrapping the Wesleyan Church in the American Flag. He says this. It's written by Dan Leroy, by the way. Now, Mr. Leroy has been a uh, leader in the Wesleyan Church for decades, a district superintendent. He's a good man, a man that you would enjoy being with. But I think his writing here and his challenge to the church reflects a chink in our armor, the evangelical armor in the church. Here's what he says. Whether we like it or not, we now live in a totally pluralistic society, a post-Christian nation and a post-Christian world. We can yell our protest into the darkness all we want to, or we can act like we've got good sense and find a way to shine like the stars in the darkness. Either way, we are not going to see that darkness rolled back in our lifetime, or even in the lifetime of our grandchildren, if ever, short of direct and divine intervention. That's his opening paragraph. Rather defeatist, isn't it? We have lost, is what he's saying. We've lost. We can protest all we like, we can shout in the darkness all we want, but we've lost the culture wars. And we're not going to see any correction in our lifetime or in the lifetime of our grandchildren. Short of miraculous intervention, I would agree with that. I mean, the abolition of slavery was miraculous intervention. The civil rights movement was miraculous intervention. The American Revolution was miraculous intervention. The establishment of the United States of America as a free constitutional republic was divine intervention. I agree with that, but this fatalistic attitude that we can't do anything about it causes me to pause before I even go further. Well, let's go further. Here's more from Dan Leroy. What we can do is bring the power of Christian testimony and conviction, empowered by the Holy Spirit who resides within us, into the cultural mess in which we now live. I agree. In spite of the overwhelming odds, humanly speaking, we do not need to shrink back. Again, I agree. This is a good paragraph. We need to engage. Yes, we do. We need to become our generation's sons of Issachar, people who understood the times, with the knowledge of what Israel needed to do. That's in quotation marks because that's a biblical quote about the sons of Issachar. Again, I agree with this paragraph. He concludes by saying, the last thing we need to do is withdraw from the field. The next to last thing we need to do is to forget in which kingdom our citizenship resides. And here's where he sets up his argument because he's going to suggest that those who are patriotic and fighting for the survival of our constitutional republic here in the United States are fighting for the wrong kingdom. More from Mr. Leroy. There are certain people in Wesleyan circles who seem to struggle with this distinction. Hmm. What distinction is that and who are those people? 
They seem to want to conflate the kingdom of America with the kingdom of God, failing to distinguish between the two. They wrap themselves and the Wesleyan church. Let's just replace Wesleyan with the evangelical church in the American flag. I'll repeat that one more time. They wrap themselves and the Wesleyan church in the American flag. They wrap the evangelical church in the American flag. They are proud to proclaim their vision of who we should be and what we should be doing. Just read it. You can't tell where the kingdom of God ends and the kingdom of the United States begins in their writings. We have to be wiser than this. Now, who's he talking about? Is he talking about you? Is he talking about me? Is he talking about those who are fighting for freedom? As if that somehow is giving allegiance, paying homage, being obedient to the wrong kingdom. The kingdom of the United States, as he describes it, rather than the kingdom of God. Let's go on and hear what he has to say. Understand me clearly. As citizens of the United States, we have every right to be concerned about what is going on in this nation. We have not only the right, but the responsibility to engage in every legal and responsible way. At the ballot box, on social media, in the street, if you have to, to bring about change or to preserve things that should not be changed. As committed Christians, we should bring our strong convictions to the conversation. Again, in the right spirit, of course, he says. Now, again, a good paragraph after he just got done saying that we've got this inability by certain Christian leaders to distinguish between the kingdom of the United States and the kingdom of God. Then he kind of flips and he goes into this, yeah, but as responsible citizens, we have to engage. We have the responsibility of engaging. We need to stop those things from being changed that shouldn't be changed. Well, how do you do that? How do you do that? if you follow his advice and his admonition to stop serving the wrong kingdom, to have this bifurcation of patriotism and Christianity. What we can't do is conflate the two kingdoms, he says, and confuse their unique place in our lives. And we can't try to use political rhetoric and our meager political influence to try to advance the cause of a spiritual kingdom. Really? Why not? You can't use political rhetoric. And what is political rhetoric versus biblical rhetoric? Do you understand the distinction between the two? Is he suggesting that there's a difference? Or is he conflating the two by suggesting that others are conflating them in an inappropriate way? Is he committing the very sin, if you will, that he's accusing others of committing? I'll go on. Those who position themselves as political influencers among us need to decide which kingdom they want to advance. Be wise enough to know the difference and choose one or the other. They are not identical, he says. As for the rest of us, these days call for critical thinking, like no days we've ever seen before. We live in a very complex world, he says, but we have a simple mission. Like Jesus, we are to speak and to save the full salvation through the power of the Holy Spirit that is in the gospel. We are to seek and to save those who are lost. That means we need to unwrap, this is the key phrase here. This is his take home. Listen to this. That means we need to unwrap from the flag, bringing no offense to it or the nation for which it stands and wrap ourselves with the servant's towel and get back to the work, his work. This is the Christian day, he says. If we know what to do with it, this is the Christian day. 
Like the first century, this is the day when the church is not at the top of the popularity polls. We are being accused of being hateful, mean, and phobic. We just need to keep on loving and refusing to strike back. Let's stop whining and get back to the mission. If they come after us, we will meet them at the door with unconquerable love, the love of Calvary. If we find ourselves worthy to suffer or even give our life for the cause like our Lord did, as did some of our Wesleyan heroes, we'll be in good company. Good company. This is the Wesleyan day. Again, replace the word Wesleyan with evangelical now. This is the evangelical day. If we have the courage to be who we once were, those early evangelicals, those early Wesleyans did not need to favor, excuse me, did not need the favor of their neighbors to do the right thing. They did not need their favorite president in office to change the world. All they needed was the courage of their convictions and a clear vision of what God was asking them to do. We could use a good dose of both. So let the dead bury the dead when it comes to the temptation to try to save the world through political measures. There we are again, this disparaging of politics. Let the loud voices that cannot seem to avoid the temptations to parade as political savers, saviors, excuse me, let me go back and read that sentence. This is very important. Let the loud voices that cannot seem to avoid the temptation to parade as political saviors spout their political solutions. But instead, let's listen to the still small voice that whispers, my kingdom is not of this world. That's the end of his uh, excerpt. Now, there was good stuff in there, stuff that I don't want to mock and don't want to criticize, but there's confusion in here. There's a total, total mess of confusion, in my view, in this particular short passage of this book. He's saying that we have the responsibility to engage in the public square, but then he's saying this as his concluding take-home. Let the loud voices that cannot seem to avoid the temptation to parade as political saviors spout their political solutions. But instead, let's listen to the still small voice that whispers, my kingdom is not of this world. Again, this bifurcated attitude of two different kingdoms. There's theological debate. And... Is the United States the kingdom of God? No. Can it be used to advance the kingdom of God? Absolutely. Is the United States a nation that has enjoyed more human freedom than any nation in the history of the world? I would argue it is. Is the United States grounded in a biblical ethic? And has that biblical ethic actually served as the pretext for the freedoms that we now enjoy or have enjoyed? The answer is yes. But here's the thing I want to address. Here's the thing I want to confront in this writing, in this view. These sermons, these books, these podcasts that scold conservative Christians for their political engagement. Here's what I want to say. It doesn't surprise me. But I'm so tired I'm so tired of this silly old saw of avoiding the temptation to parade as political saviors. Again, I'm quoting him. I'm quoting Mr. Leroy's specific take-home comment from this chapter. I am so weary 
of the silly, shallow reasoning where these leaders, evangelical leaders, are telling us that we need to avoid the temptation to parade as political saviors. Paraphrase, y'all are too political. Stop it. That's what he's saying. And frankly, this is nonsense. It's nonsense. Just because you engage politically does not mean that you have inappropriately conflated the kingdom of God with the kingdom of the United States. First of all, the United States is not a kingdom. So even using that language is inappropriate. It's misleading. It's nonsense. And as you've heard me say before, I'm going to say one more time, because this is my key message, back to Mr. Leroy and anybody else on that side of the debate. Who decided? Who decided that the definition of life, human life, a baby's life, is political and not biblical? Am I succumbing to the temptation to parade as a political savior, spouting my political solutions when I fight for the life of an unborn child, a preborn child, a child that's five seconds away from being born? Who decided that that's a political issue rather than a biblical issue? Who made that decision? Dan Leroy? Evangelical leaders, district superintendents, general superintendents of denominations X, Y, and Z. Who made the decision? Who decided that the definition of a human life is political and not biblical? Who decided that the definition of marriage is political and not biblical? Who made that decision? I'm just curious. Are those fighting for God's definition of marriage, one man, one woman, a sacrament of the church for at least the 1,400 years of Catholic tradition before the Reformation? Who decided that the definition of marriage is political and not biblical? I, just curious. So am I succumbing to the temptation to parade as a political savior with political solutions when I fight against this degradation of what it means to be married? complete redefinition of marriage, the stealing of that definition by government from God. Who decided, Mr. Leroy, that that's a political issue rather than a biblical issue? Who decided that the definition of a male and a female is political? So when I fight against the indoctrination of our children in drag queen story hours and tell people that they shouldn't vote for a party that will do that to your kids, have I succumbed to the temptation to parade as a political savior, spouting off my political solutions because I think sodomy is a bad deal and God specifically condemned it as an abomination and judged it accordingly? Who decided that this discussion was political and not biblical? I'm just curious, who did? Who decided that the fight for human freedom is political and not biblical. Isn't freedom a biblical issue? Isn't the story of the Exodus a story about freedom? Pharaoh let my people go. The Jews were being held in bondage and slavery by a foreign government, by a foreign king. And God raised up Moses to go rescue them, to lead them in an exodus from that country to a country of their own where they would enjoy freedom within God's boundaries and rules. Who decided that this discussion, human freedom, is political 
I just who decided? I'm curious. Mr. Leroy, am I succumbing to the temptation to parade as a political savior, spouting off my political solutions because I believe in human liberty, human freedom? I've said it often, over and over again. These guys like Dan Leroy and others, who are good guys in some ways, are so confused, I have to wonder if they would have accused the founder of their own church, the Wesleyan Church, Orange Scott, a man you've heard me talk about before, Orange Scott, a man with a very unusual name, who founded the Wesleyan Church because the Methodist Church that he was part of at the time in the mid-1800s would not take a stand against slavery. Was Orange Scott the founder of the very church that Dan Leroy now helps lead? Was he too political? for fighting for human freedom, human dignity, the definition of what it means to be a human being, that your humanity is not defined by the color of your skin, but the content of your character, that you're the Imago Dei, you're not the Imago Dog, you're not an animal, and you don't, no one has the right to buy and sell another human being as if he's chattel. Possession. A beast of labor, beast of burden. So we're Orange Scott and Luther Lee, the founders of the Wesleyan Church, abolitionists in the mid-1800s, were they being too political? I just want to ask these people that come out of these abolitionist churches, like the Free Methodist Church and the Wesleyan Church, many within the Assembly of God tradition, the Nazarene Church. These are churches that were born out of the most politically contentious issue, arguably, in our nation's history. It was called the Civil War. But yet, the leaders of these churches today turn around and scold us for wrapping ourselves in the American flag. We're being too political. And the irony is this. Dan Leroy's posturing is political, if anything ever was. The scolding of others for being too political is a political scold. Don't you see that? They're sawing off the branch upon which they sit. It makes no sense. They're challenging of you or their challenge of you and me for being too political is a political challenge. They're saying, you need to stop talking about those things. That's a political maneuver, folks. It's shallow, it's two-faced virtue signaling. These people, would they have told Frederick Douglass that he was too political? Would they have told Harriet Tubman she was too political? How about Booker T. Washington? How about Martin Luther King Jr.? How about William Wilberforce? Was he being too political? You have to wonder if they would have scolded them for doing the same. How about Dietrich Bonhoeffer standing against Hitler? Was he being too political? Again, shallow, two-faced virtue signaling. It's dishonest. It's wrong. And it's political. Fighting for the things that the Bible tells you are good is not being too political. I'm not going to unwrap myself from any flag just because these folks tell me that I'm being political and they're not <laughs> as they show their politics in spades. I'm Dr. Everett Piper and this is The Rebellion.